I remember when I was about five years old, I first got glasses. Prior to that, life is just a blur. This is Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. Hi there, glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. It has been a whirlwind of the past couple of weeks, and I have relished every minute of it. It has been a very long time since the last podcast when I promised you that the podcast would come on a more reliable basis. I have been convicted by Ray Bradbury. I'll tell you about that in a minute. So, for the past several months, I have been in rehearsals with an ensemble cast. As you know, I generally work as a single performer, as a solo artist, as a lone guy on stage, and I really like it that way. But I got to be in my bonnet about being part of a group cast, the Magic Castle, through a Halloween party that lasted for over a week and basically transformed the entire castle into the murder mansion and had a big game of Clue for all the members and all their guests that showed up, and boy, did they show up. Um, I auditioned back in September, I think it was. Maybe even as late as late late August. We've been working on it for a long time. Parts of it were filmed, a lot of photography done, a lot of setup before it came out. And when I say the castle was transformed, I mean literally the entire castle was transformed. They bathed it in blood-red lights. They changed the signage. They changed just about every square inch of the interior uh, from the wall decorations. I mean, the entire walls changed um, to specialty rooms, to clues and things like this. And we had ourselves a big game of clue um, for eight straight days. By no huge surprise, I was cast as the heavy, as the um, as the casino owner, gambler, um, degenerate with a bad attitude who carries a knife. Uh, the last time I worked in an ensemble troupe, it was for the Whitechapel uh, event in Charlotte, and I was cast as the degenerate gambler, um, casino owner who carried a knife. Uh, I may have found my life's role. <clears throat> Turns out I was the distraction, and since the, the event is over, I have uh, no problem in telling you that I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was a big red herring. Uh, I was the obvious candidate, and I think maybe I was a little too obvious, because not many people um, went down that path. But the beauty in it was, is like I said, big game of Clue, and there were three possible endings. You would come in, you would choose a color, Uh, as to which scenario you wanted to run, uh, red, green, or blue, and you followed the clues for that particular color color scheme. You got to talk live to the suspects. I was one suspect. There were six others. And uh, tried to determine who did what, where, and with what. I'm going to say 50 to 60% of the people that came in actually played the game. Some of them just liked running around looking for clues and talking to the suspects or seeing the uh, the Halloween-themed shows. Anyway, whatever the reason they came in or whatever it was, we all had a great time. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and say me more than anybody. I, I had a blast. I got, to, uh, I got to perform 
like Shell Game and Three Card Monty and uh, really, you know, overemphasize the, uh, the character that I had been assigned and just had a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Plus, I discovered the, the joys of Smokey Eye, um, uh, not mascara, uh, eyeshadow, <laughs> which apparently really brings out my eyes. I have never been a more popular fellow than I was for those eight nights, and maybe I'll look into that as well. <laughs> anyway, it was a lot of fun. Um, so we dedicated months to the rehearsals and everything else, bringing it up to it, and pulled it off in a, a spectacular way. We, when I say we, I mean uh, the Magic Castle itself and the um, the Boo Crew and the and the people that put all this on. I don't think they expected quite the response that they did, but they reached capacity seven nights out of eight to where people were. The cars were lined up down the street to get in, and people were lined up around the building to get in, and sometimes waiting for hours just to just for the opportunity to come in and play and be a part of the castle experience. So <clears throat> hopefully it was enough of a success to where we'll do something like it next year. And, uh, man, if I get the chance to be a, a part of it again, I will absolutely jump at it. This is um, This is my eighth month here in Los Angeles, and I'm... I think I'm starting to get the stride of it. It's uh, it's becoming the new normal for me uh, with the with the traffic and the people and, and the and the, just the community and the social aspect of it. Uh, it. It has been quite a culture shock for some time, and and I still don't have a full grasp on it. But I think I'm getting better. I feel more at home now uh, than I used to. <clears throat> I'm resist- resisting the urge to cough. I have a little tickle in my chest today. Uh, which is why I sound perhaps a little bit deeper. Um, so that was a success. Uh, the Christmas holiday season and is coming up, and there's a lot of uh, things coming up on the horizon. I'm going to be on the road for almost a month. Uh, coming up at the end of this month, <clears throat> I will start a run. Uh, I'll be doing two weeks in the... Uh, in the library bar, the newly christened library bar at the Magic Castle, um, and enjoying the hell out of that. Uh, two two solid weeks. The, the the end of this month, in the beginning of December, the week before and the week after Thanksgiving, uh, they have uh, they have unleashed me onto the unsuspecting, wonderful souls that will visit the castle in those two weeks. And after that, I leave L.A. <clears throat> almost immediately and head to the East Coast, where. Uh, I have one thing after another up until mid, uh, mid-December, like the 15th of December. And then I'm back here. Uh, grateful for the work. Uh, glad it finally came in. Glad it seems that the, the, the taps are open. Some fun things happening at the castle as well, and, and uh, all, all is well there. Um, for those of you following along or still playing along, um, in addition to the podcast... There is, uh, there's the blog, which is getting more and more writing as we go along. Um, you can find that. I'll put, the, uh, I'll put the link in the comments on the, uh, on the description of this. You can just go and uh, click through to that. And the Patreon page, which still could use your support. Uh, not so much for living day-to-day, which is, is finally being taken care of, but to help me catch up on uh, debts that I owe through the, uh, through the entirety of the process of the purgatory that I went through, as well as making traveling just a bit easier. Um, could always use your, your support in uh, 
helping me with my art. Also linked <clears throat> on the uh, on the front of this. I am fairly politics free as far as uh, my public speaking. As far as what I do, I if I preach anything, if I if I bring anything to the table, generally I try to bring a, a sense of promoting self worth or promoting finding your own gift and using it to improve the world that you're in. Circumstances have made it impossible for me to be silent anymore because honestly in this particular day and age to be silent is to be complicit and I will not be complicit where I see evil or hatred or indifference happening to to human beings. So uh, there'll be a little bit of that coming up in a few minutes. <clears throat> uh, in my own style, stay tuned. Um, I have some, some very pointed things to say to uh, some very close friends of mine who, who seem to have lost their way, who seem to have lost their vision as to what love, love is or, or human decency or compassion, and it, it dismays me to see some of those things. Um, as far as my dedication here goes, uh, it's it's been tough, and, and I'll tell you why. There are days when I simply don't know what to say. I don't know how to sit in front of this microphone and, and say anything of value to you. I fear that just saying 15 or 20 minutes of content out might not be enough. I might be cheating you of uh, <laughs> of the free thoughts that, that flow from my mind. And, and maybe that's not enough. Maybe I'm not committed enough. Or some days there are things, there are days when I've got too much to say. And I literally sit paralyzed because I have no way of choosing. I mean, no way of really choosing the important things or, or what I, I mean to say without it becoming one long garbled diatribe of one subject leading into the other. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe that that's important to you. I generally sit down with an outline of I need to say this and I need to say this and this is important and this will lead into that and... Uh, some days the information is just so heavy, uh, I sit paralyzed and, and, and unable to proceed. And honestly, um, I don't want this to become a constant uh, woe is me or bad news uh, sort of thing. I want to be uplifting. I want to be encouraging. So in saying that, uh, let me delve into where I'm going with this. Last night, <clears throat> which was Friday, November the 2nd, 2018, which makes today Saturday. I probably should have said that. Saturday, November the 3rd, 2018. And I'm going to pause right there and go off on a ramble because my brain just clicked in and said, hey, remember this. Tomorrow's November 4th. Tomorrow, uh, my oldest daughter, Carlisle, is going to turn 30 years old. I have a 30-year-old child. Um... And let me state for the record right here, I could not be more proud of this child that uh, I watched from birth to now and, and all the things she's accomplished and, and all of the, the determination and the, and the following her own path that, uh, that I tried to instill in her as a child. She currently works for a, a banking institution uh, and is very successful at that and has recently gone back to school to do physical therapy because it's something that she loves and always has. 
So she is genuinely following the the gift that has been put into her hands and is following it uh, on her own terms. And really, what more could I ask of anyone, much less a child of mine, to to embrace the love she has within herself and uh, and for herself and and do as she sees best fit for the world. So, happy birthday to my da- my my darling first daughter Catherine Carlyle, and uh, Dad's proud. Dad's real proud, and maybe I don't show or tell you that enough, though I do strive to. So anyway, last night. I went to a play uh, here in uh, in L.A. called uh, Martians, uh, An Evening with Ray Bradbury. And it was based on Ray Bradbury, or a gentleman playing Ray Bradbury, science fiction writer, um, one of my favorite authors as a teen and, and a young adult, uh, wrote a lot of great science fiction fantasy, uh, beautiful stories, very uh, moving, especially to, to my young inquisitive brain on exploration and and the human condition and some other things uh, shaped my world and my writing in a, in a very unique way. And so someone put on a play about his writing style and, and how he chose to write and the way he came up with stories and, and fascinating, just fascinating. The play was done very, very well with, of course, vignettes from stories that he had written or the way he processed through things and how he got a beginning and a middle and the meat of the middle and the ending of everything. Very, very inspirational. Uh, I believe this was the debut of it here in L.A., and if it if it travels near you, I highly recommend it. Um, depending, of course, on the company and the director, the one that I saw was top-notch in a, in a small theater. Um, and, and again, just phenomenal. <clears throat> but one of the things that, uh, a couple of the themes, themes that were touched on was the basis of how to write and how to put a story down and how to write a novel. And, and his advice on how to write a novel is don't. Don't write a novel. Write short stories. Write a bunch of different things. Challenge yourself to write uh, a brand new short story every week so that uh, at the end of the year you will have 52 short stories and some of them will be good. A great deal of them will be crap and awful and, and stilted and unfinished but write, sit down and do a short story every week. And, and I'm seriously considering that challenge uh, and putting it in, you know, my lexicon of things to do and just see where it goes. Um, could be fascinating. Could be tragic. <laughs> but to do that, and then the three basic tenets are, one, work, sit down and do the work. Uh, apparently in his library or in his workspace, he had a bunch of toys um, things that he found interesting, pieces that he would find in uh, antique shops or thrift stores that just were fascinating for one reason or for no reason, just something that caught his eye. And he would line his shelves with the things, and when he wanted to write something or was feeling stuck on something, he would pick up a toy and play with it and create from that experience, just put the work in. The second uh, second thing was, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the last thing. Uh, or the second thing. The last thing it was, don't think. Was was simply write. Simply get started writing. Uh, you know, put put the words on the paper. Put the, the, the words on the screen. Put your hands on the keyboard and just write and stop thinking. Just do it. Uh, maybe it was get playful. Maybe the second thing was get playful and that had to do with the toys. 
Uh, I was very wrapped up in the play itself. And, um, and, he, and he spoke of a theme, and he spoke of looking through colored glass and, and seeing the world in a different way, and, and, and exercises in getting outside of your own bubble. And that touched a nerve in me as well. My favorite movie of all time, um, with, with some very close contenders in the modern age, but 2001, uh, Space Odyssey, and I know I've talked about that on this on this podcast in the past, and I got to see it on the on the widescreen again with Sarah, um, and uh, both of us enjoyed it very very much. Um, but one of the things that came back to this was that the guy playing Ray Bradbury last night said, "At some point, we left the cave. We were huddled in the cave, and we were fearful of what was outside, and we would venture forth and and, and grab berries and." and nuts and, and, and whatever we needed to survive and then find water. But for the most part, we lived indoors in fear. And it was the ones who... It was the ones who stopped being afraid and ventured out of the cave and went to explore the world that engaged and changed the world. We, we created tools because we got outside of the cave. We... We created life and society because we got outside of the cave. And we are finite in our time. Not only in our lifetime, but in the lifetime of our children and our children's children. <clears throat> Going back to brutal, medieval, invisible lines drawn by invisible gods, time really is only four or five people back parents of parents of parents of parents who, who thought it was quite fine and quite okay to own other people. It's not that far back in our history. It's maybe three or four, maybe maybe as few as three people back when, you know, th these kinds of things were acceptable, and, and they're not anymore. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are stuck in that mindset, like, like taking us backwards rather than moving us forwards. I have a quote, and I meant to pull this up. Uh, I'm going to do so now because you'll bear with me. I'm pretty sure you will. Uh, a post from Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks was... Uh, oh, I took it down. Hmm. I'm going to pull everything back up right now. Uh, Bill Hicks was a comedian uh, who tragically died very young. Um, <clears throat> said some had some very radical ideas about uh, the way things should be or not should be. Um, had stances that I believed in and stances that I didn't believe in. But uh, one of the one of his closing things, one of his closing bits, a lot of people have embraced, and right now it means a lot to me as far as the world as I see it and what I'm looking at and what's going on. Uh, okay, right here. He says, The world is like a ride in an amusement park. And when you choose to go on, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. The ride goes up and down and around and around. And it has thrills and chills. And it's very brightly colored. And it's very loud. And it's fun for a while. Many people have been on the ride for a long time. And they begin to wonder, Hey, is this real or is it just a ride? Other people have remembered, and they come back to us and say, hey, don't worry, 
don't be afraid ever because it's just a ride. And we kill those people. We shut him up. Shut him up. He's got, I've got a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill the good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice? And let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. Just a simple choice. Right now, between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your doors, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapon and defenses and instead, instead, spend it feeding and clothing and educating the poor of the world. And it would pay for itself many times over, not one human being excluded. And we could explore space together, both inner and outer, forever, in peace. So, uh, the late, great <clears throat> Bill Hicks, in words that uh, my limited mind would not be uh, would not be able to come up on, you know, would come up with on my own. Sometimes the words are another uh, of another say it just fine. My, uh, I have a friend who is a rabbi, uh, Robert Judd, who is also a, a supporter on my Patreon and a, and a good friend, and uh, quite an accomplished uh, up and coming magician. I admire his work very much. I got his permission to, uh, to quote something that he said, and, 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 or uh, basically a scripture that, scripture, I'm sorry, Robert, a sermon that he's going to be delivering or had delivered. And I wanted to quote parts of it. Um, but, uh, and, and I don't want to read it all out completely, but, but here's what he had to say. And I'm gonna I'm gonna edit heavily, so forgive me. There there are words that I simply don't know how to pronounce, in in reading it. I, I do apologize, Robert. Uh, I don't. I certainly don't mean to edit you in any way. I'm gonna try to get the the feeling for what you had to say out, at the very least. Um, two Torah verses that have been rattling around in my brain. I'm speaking as Robert now. I'm reading his words, as of late. Uh, don't be afraid and love your neighbor as yourself. These are timely verses as we live in a divided country, one where fear is felt by most people. I want to tell you that this is not how it should be. We should not have to live in fear. We should not have to fear that our children won't make it home from school. We shouldn't have to fear that our houses of worship will become targets of violence. We should not have to be afraid at all. When fear, caused by hatred and bigotry, makes us change what we do and who we are, then those who promulgate, I'm going to say that right, promulgate fear, win, and we lose. But I think I found an antidote for fear. Another verse began to echo in my mind. I was walking home from vigil with my partner, Steve. Sezek, Sezek, teared off. I'm going to say that completely wrong. Teared off. This verse is almost is most commonly translated as justice, justice shall you pursue. It's a wonderful verse, and it's a favorite of social activists. Um, 
a friend, a one of my favorite Hasidic rabbis, teaches the word tzedek is doubled because it teaches us that our point, our pursuit of justice, must employ only just means and not falsehood. But there's another translation that I like. Instead of justice, the word also means righteousness. Righteousness is the quality of uprightness and morality. We are commanded to seek both justice and righteousness in the same verse. This is why I love the Hebrew language so much. It packs a lot of meaning in a few words. But it doesn't really matter, and I don't really care, he says, uh, whether we translate it as righteousness or justice. What I want us to focus on is the verb, tirdof. We are commanded to pursue justice and righteousness, and this is how we beat fear and hatred. Pursue, pursue, pursue. We have to do something. It means to chase after something with great intensity, as if our lives depended on it. Friends, our lives do depend on pursuing justice and righteousness. We need to act. Further on, he says, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor and never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. It's time to stop being neutral. In the past two years, there has been a 67% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in America and a 90% increase in New York. Hate crimes across the country have risen in the past year. We cannot turn a deaf ear to hate-filled rhetoric and then act surprised when violence erupts. Hate speech, no matter at whom it is directed, has no place in America. Once and for all, there are no good Nazis. And you can quote me. Thank you, Robert. I did. There are no good Nazis. We are living in an era where certain people feel empowered to hate on other people. Uh, Not just, you know, playful hating or playful being jealous about uh, my success or my whatever, my good looks. Actually hating someone because of their heritage, their skin color, their their humanity, their diversity. And it has to stop, and it will not stop without action. Um, By the time most of you hear this, the voting will have been done and over, and I certainly hope you got out and, and exercised your right to vote. And I hope you voted with your heart. I hope you voted with with your mind, with your intelligence, and seeing what is right and what is wrong and what needs to be adjusted. And if your sense of right and wrong begins and ends with, this is mine, you can't take it, then you're misguided, my friend. You're, you're, you're wrong. You're still living in the cave. You're still trying to live in fear of what might be out there and, and, and what you might learn or, or what might change your mind or your heart if you step outside of the prison that you've put yourself into. And that comes right back around to a hot-button issue, something that divides our collective consciousness as as a country, something that has further divided us on things. And and, and I'm going to put a lot of this right at the feet of the leadership of this country, who have painted pictures of people trying to leave their demolished lives and running into walls and running into hatred and, 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 and suspicion and, and, and rumors. My life ended. My former life ended. My family was broken to pieces. My marriage was crushed because of words, because of rumors. 
because of false rumors, because people believed false things about me. People looked at circumstantial evidence, made up their minds that a certain thing was a certain way, spread the rumors, and by the time I took it seriously, it was too late. And my life was demolished. I had to rebuild completely. I am not comparing myself to refugees. I'm simply making an analogy on rumors and, and, and speaking falsely about people you don't know. The caravan coming northward towards our borders are refugees. Men, women, children, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, escaping from impossible conditions. And instead of compassion, instead of love, instead of how can we help you, we are instead sending troops with guns to the border to prevent this group of people from seeking asylum with us. When our very first tenant, when one of our very first tenants of, of running this country was, send us your poor, send us your, your you, you know the deal, you know the, the, the chant, the, the huddled masses. And instead, we're pointing guns at them and saying, this is ours, and you cannot step across this line. Yes, it's the law. Yes, there are peaceful ways to seek citizenship in this country. Yes, there are ways to do it. And it's impossibly difficult for some people and unknown to others. They are seeking our love. They are seeking a better way of life. They are seeking a better living outside of the hell that they are leaving. And we, as a people are pointing guns at them and saying, go home. I have a friend, I have somebody whose, whose opinion I generally respect and whose talent I, I respect and whose humanity I used to respect, who literally said out loud on his social media, meet them, give them a sandwich, pat them on the head, turn them around and send them home. And, and my only thought was how completely unfeeling, how completely misguided, how completely unchristian of a man who stands up and, and, and touts his Christianity and his love of the church. You're wrong, brother. You're wrong. I, I am I am I am not part of the church any longer. I am not uh, I do not I like the ideas, some of the ideas that is put forth from the scriptures. Uh, I embrace the ones of love and kindness and, and strength. And isn't it stronger to embrace than to point a gun at someone? Doesn't it show your strength more to be compassionate than to be possessive? Here's a, here's a radical thought. What if, and then hear me out, hear me all the way through this. What if instead of meeting them with guns, instead of going to the, to the border <clears throat> and saying, if even one of them throws a rock at us, we're going to open fire on the entire group and take them down, to mow them down where we stand, because this is the line. We live on this side, they live on that side, and we are going to push them back with violence. Instead of meeting those people that way, what if we, we met them with open arms and food and new clothes or, or blankets or, or shelter? 
What if we met them with love? What if we met them with compassion? How much stronger would we be as a nation in our own view, in our own self-esteem of ourselves and in the eyes of the world if we said, we have plenty, let us feed you. And I ain't stopping at just the refugees coming from other countries. What about our own poor? What about our own people that are in need of psychiatric help, that are in need of compassion and, and therapy and, and, and all the things that, that, that we turn our heads to in society? When we have so much, so plentiful, but we allow people to starve in our own streets. If there is such a thing as sin, that's the biggest one. Not blaspheming against a non-existent God. Not, not taking the Lord's name in vain. Not even murder or, or, or violence against other people. But absolute non-compassion to people that are hurting to turning a blind eye to people in need and not giving them love has to be uh, the biggest sin there is, at least in my opinion. You can change my mind if you'd like to try. I, I welcome your comments. I welcome your, your conversation. Honestly, say something. Type it down. It's, it, you can't be neutral on this. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Support my argument. Tear down my argument. Show me where I'm misguided a little bit if that's what it comes to. We have plenty. We have arms to open, not arms to point. We left the cave tens of thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. I, I, will, I will defer to the science. Thousands of years ago, we left the caves. We conquered our own fear. We stepped outside to see what was out there. Eventually, someday the sun is going to explode. Eventually, someday, the planet we're living on is no longer going to be able to sustain us as humans. Just like the cave stopped being the source of, of sustenance for us, we had to venture out. Turning inward, locking children in cages, locking children in cages, dividing ourselves on purpose, Drawing invisible lines, holding up invisible friends as that my invisible friend is better than your invisible friend, is staying in the cave. If instead we erased those lines, if we found a way to find common ground, because there is so much more that binds us than divides us, we could, in fact, start looking right now for the steps away from this particular cave. We don't have to be divided. We don't have to live in our cages. We don't have to lock the doors. Doors could be removed. People say globalism like it's a bad word. We are all in this together. The, the fate of the least of us demonstrates the heart of the best of us, or the rest of us. It is inconscionable, and I know I used that word wrong. It is, it is mean of us who have so plenty to allow others to go hungry, 
because of ideology, because of invisible lines, because of I've got mine, you go get yours. I don't know. Am I talking socialism? Am I talking communism? I'm trying to talk humanity. I'm trying to talk compassion and love. And if you are a follower of Christ, embracing that. I started off on a, on a, a story, and I, I don't remember, honestly, if, if I finished it. So I'm going to go finish it now. Uh, maybe it's the second time. Um, we, are, we are meeting, I did not finish it, we are meeting people at our borders with guns and saying, we don't have the resources for you, go home, we don't want you here, go back to your horrible, tormented lives, we don't want you here. That's, in effect, what we're saying. For those of you that study the life of Christ and study the life of Jesus, that embrace the New Testament as the ordained voice of God, I recall a story, and I used to teach these things, so so bear with me, but I recall a story where Jesus had finished preaching, and there was multitudes of people hanging around, uh, waiting for the next day when he would start up again, or, or uh, some event was going to keep happening, and, and he had just finished preaching, he had just finished talking to him, and there were thousands. And his disciples, his his leadership team, the people that he relied on, his bros, came up and said, man... Got to send everybody home. Uh, there's not enough to feed everybody. Uh, you need to tell them to go home. We don't have the resources to feed them. And by Christ, your Jesus, our Jesus, uh, this 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 teacher, this rabbi, said, "No, no. The Lord will provide. The universe will provide." And he prayed, and he put out his hands, and and someone came forth with some bread and some fish, and they fed everybody. They found a way. They had leftovers. That's a tenet of your religion, one that I used to embrace. And the story is about love and about kindness and about compassion. And why are you ignoring that? Please tell me where in, in your Bible, in your stories, or in your, your following of Christ where he said, bring everything in the house and bolt the doors and keep everybody outside. Don't love your neighbor. Don't love your enemy. You know, we have neighbors that we are making into enemies because of our attitude. Instead, instead, if we hold compassion for the people that hate us, if we find a way to show them love, if we find a way to feed the needy, if we find a way to get medicine to the sick, if instead of pouring so much money into violence, into weapons, if instead we funneled that knowledge, that, that science into healing, into compassion, we'd be a better people for it. We'd be more godly people for it, if you want to embrace that term. We could stop people from starving to death just inches away from waste, wasted food, wasted resources. I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sorry. We have the means to be a better people. We have a means to love one another. We have a way to open our arms instead of pointing guns. We have a way out of the cave. We have a way 
to unlock the doors of our own prison and explore space, both inner and outer, together. And all we have to do, all we have to do, is decide we're going to do it. It's literally that simple. Strength through kindness. Strength through nonviolence. Strength through humanity and love. (sighs) Holiday season is coming up. I want to dedicate myself to saying my words more often, putting more of myself out there. If nothing more than, I don't know, 20 years from now, somebody hears this and gets hope from it or sees that there's a better way of doing what I don't, I don't know. I don't have any agenda. I'm saying what I feel. And that's really all I can do. I'll show you card tricks and I'll tell you stories. I'm good at those things. Vote. Take care of yourselves. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Pray for those who are against you. That's it. I hope there's love where you are. Sitting on the corner, staring down the street and wall Making fun of faces at the people we don't meet a world A world Holding out of pockets for all the world to see a world Singing our old songs, busking you and me a world A world A world Funny how they always seem to want to get away from you Just throw a little money and say Hey ma'am, now do just what you do You sing a little anthem and answer Hey man, I am Just a little more dough and I'll show you where I stand That's the plan, ain't life grand Breaking in the quarters, nickels and the dimes of wool Just breathing and dreaming and passing by the time of war war. Thinking of the past and what we live for then war Where we're living now, our worries in the winter war War Funny how she always seems to want to get away from you She calls you honey in the job But when she's out, you're glue Lord, it's true You put your axe up in the case And then you ease and making haste for the door Then you bust it to the corner Get your busking all in order for the show On the road, here we go Of gold 
Every time I play a whoa, whoa. Days turn into weeks and weeks are into years of woe. We live for the fans and make the music in the ears of woe. I'm having an old friend for tonight. Bye. 